Hello, 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 and happy Saturday. Happy Saturday indeed. And welcome into another edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast. It is episode number 78. My name, as always, is Alex Reamer. I have a great interview for you all this week. One of the more interesting... I've had the pleasure in hosting this show, 78 episodes in, to talk to an array of really interesting and really cool people. Uh, I love... Every aspect of my job at OutSports, but hosting the show, being able to connect with people is definitely at the top of the list. And this week, I spoke with a guy, Andrew Mortensen, who not only raised about $17,000 for the Trevor Project, uh, but he biked not just across North America, but across Central America and South America. And oh yeah, he did it all during the height of COVID from August 2020 through this past April, yeah, that it, it, it happened. So uh, you'll hear my conversation with Andrew in just a few minutes. Uh, I know we've talked a lot about the Olympics the past few weeks. They are wrapping up this weekend. Uh, so as we transition into more of a post-Olympics world, uh, I, I think Andrew is the perfect guest to get us there. I, I am just floored by his story. We talked for almost half an hour. So you'll hear that conversation coming up. But I do want to quickly mention the latest going on in Tokyo. The games, of course, as I mentioned, wrapping up this weekend. But Team LGBTQ continues to win medals. And this past Friday may have won one of the more special medals. Uh, Quinn is a transgender, non-binary soccer player for Team Canada. And they made history becoming the first trans, uh, openly out trans athlete to win gold at the Olympic Games, so congratulations to Quinn. Uh, our Carly Webb, who is trans herself, wrote an amazing story on Outsports right now about Quinn and what their win means to her. Um, it's just, it's great. I mean, as we have these wars and attacks against trans athletes going on across the country, to see a trans athlete win an open trans athlete win a gold medal at the Olympics in soccer is pretty damn cool. So that is uh, one of my favorite stories from the Olympics over the past couple of weeks, one of the, or over the last week rather, one of the more puzzling stories about the Olympics, and I wrote this on Outsports as well, published yesterday, Friday, is we've talked a lot over the last month or so about the historic number of out LGBTQ athletes in these Olympic Games. We have 182, I believe is our count, at least 182 out athletes at the Tokyo Summer Olympics. That's amazing. More than triple the number at Rio in 2016. But here's an interesting anecdote. Out LGBTQ women outnumber men by about 9 to 1. And if you take out sports that aren't equestrian or in a pool, the disparity grows even greater. There are nine out male Olympians competing in equestrian, swimming, and diving. They account for nearly 60% of the out male athletes at the games. Okay? Uh, There are only 17 out male athletes in Tokyo. That's just 0.3% of all the male athletes at these Olympics. There's no way that's it. So the question is, where are the out male athletes? You know, where are they? Now, 
I think some of this imbalance might be explained by the fact that there are just simply more LGBTQ women in elite sports than men. Uh, Sid Ziegler, one of our co-founders, wrote an article about this a couple weeks ago at the start of the games. He asked out women in elite-level American soccer, hockey, and basketball what percentage of their team they believe is LGBTQ, and their answers range from 30% to 80%. I find it hard to believe that any male athlete would say 80% of his team is LGBTQ or even 30%, but come on. I mean, there's no way that the complete dearth of out male athletes in Tokyo is an accurate representation at all of how many LGBTQ men compete in high-level sports. For whatever reason, the culture still appears to be holding people back, even as we continue to see that male sports are, yes, in fact, ready for out athletes. Carl Nassib, Raiders training camp. It took him days to address coming out in June. Days. It's a non-story. There's no media circus. None of that. So you say, oh, well, Nassib comes out. We had Predators prospect Luke Prokop come out as well. We talked about that a couple weeks ago with Brock McGillis. He had universal positive reactions. You say, oh, we are on the cusp of a domino effect. But, you know, I thought the same thing in 2013 and 2014 when we had Jason Collins come out, Michael Sam come out, Robbie Rogers in soccer, Derek Gordon in college basketball, and... They did not spark a rainbow wave, so we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens in three years at Paris 2024. The men obviously have a lot of catching up to do, but as a gay man, you know, I watched Tom Daly, who sat at the podium after winning gold, and he said he's incredibly proud to be an out gay man, and he said to be an Olympic champion shows you can achieve anything. And I'm just like, when are we going to hear a basketball player say that or a soccer player say that or in pro sports in the U.S., a football player, a baseball player? I mean, maybe Carl Nassib is that guy. But where are the out male athletes? We've made so much progress. LGBTQ people have never been more accepted in sport, in society. But the male sports are behind and we're waiting for them to catch up. And until they do... I will continue to scratch my head. So that's my take on that. I'm sure we'll have more of that next week as we continue to digest these games and all that they've meant. But coming up next, as I mentioned, is Andrew Mortensen, who, in case you forgot, biked across North America, Central America, and South America from August 2020 through this April. So the height of COVID as well. It's an amazing story. And it's coming up next. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to the Sports Kiki Podcast that I was mentioning in the opening. Very excited to bring on my guest this week. It's been months in the making. Andrew Mortensen biked 17,000 miles across North America and South America to raise money for the, for the Trevor Project. Raised upwards of $11,000 I see here on CNBC. Uh, Andrew, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? Hello, Alex. I'm doing great. How are you doing? It is great to talk with you, finally. Um, So you've told your story to a few places over the last few months, but for those who have not kept up with you, let's start at the beginning. You were laid off from your airline during COVID, and then you decided, I'm going to bike 
across the country. How did that come about? So during COVID, this uh, sense of claustrophobia kicked in. And, and like me, for a lot of people, uh, being indoors was really tough. And as a really kinetic outdoor person, I like to move. And so I supplemented my running with, with biking as a way to continue to explore and mm-hmm. push beyond sort of my neighborhood radius. And so as I kept riding and riding, I kept pushing a little further and further. And before you know it, my sights had been set on uh, riding across the country. So um, in in parallel with this, in, in the last two years, I had two friends who, uh, who, who had killed themselves. And so I decided to to go and ride across the country in, in uh, their honor and as well as a way to get out and see the great countryside. Wow. You had two friends who committed suicide. Yes. Wow. And, uh, and, 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 and did this, was this recent, did this happen recent, like before, like how, how recent were these, uh, incidents? These were, uh, two friends in the last two, okay. two, two and a half years, we'll call it. Uh, so it wasn't, uh, back to back, but, yeah. um, certainly enough wow. to, uh, you know, be challenging. It's just yeah. someone's there and they're not. I, I can't even imagine. So. So, so you, were you a biker before this journey, or you picked it up during the pandemic? I'm a runner by blood. I actually yeah, nice. disliked biking before this, and I'm still partial to running. Um, I, I'm, I'm just a scared biker. I ride down the hills slow. I'm afraid of cars. I, I don't want to fall. And so, yeah, I'm, I've always been a runner, and I always will be a runner. I read that you fell eight times. On your trip, though, that's pretty good. I think. I felt. First. Go ahead. I think there's a, a ratio. It came out to about once every two thousand miles. So yeah, it wasn't bad. I I would say so. If I bike seventeen thousand miles across two continents, uh, I think I would have fallen more than once every two thousand miles. That's for sure. The practice makes perfect. I guess. So I'm just like I I I I do want to go back to the beginning now where. It's COVID, you know, you don't want to be inside, you're an outdoors person, you pick up biking, like, okay, I can understand that, but just that line from, I'm going to start biking to, I want to take on a cross-country trip. How quickly did this idea get into your head, and what propelled you to to do that? The the idea marinated really quickly, to be really? honest. I, I got out, I was riding increasingly longer distances and I have a tendency to get really focused on on one or two things and and take it to its greatest extreme so naturally this is the the course that my biking would follow and given that I had the time and the space away from my work um, I I hatched this plan in in a matter of weeks and it took, you know, a lot of logistical work to get actually a bicycle in COVID. It was very challenging to find the parts and the frame to put it together, but hmm. was able to make it happen with the help of a, a mechanic in Chicago and, you know, just plan the, the whole route. So, you know, I, it, it, to answer your question, it, it, it started really in earnest in, in probably April, uh, late, late April. And, and before you know it, I was pedaling uh, the end of August was when I started the trip. Yeah, August 2020, and you and you ended in April 2021. Um, yes. So you started in Washington State, right? 
where you lived? Yeah, I, I started in Washington State up in the, it was the most northwestern corner in the lower 48. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm reading here on the CNBC article. It says, Mortensen equipped himself with only a change of clothes, some nutrition bars, and his cell phone to document his journey. How many clothes did you pack? Oh, one change of clothes. How many nutrition <laughs> bars did you pack, number one? And, like, one change of clothes. I mean, what was what was the plan? Did you, did you only wear those two pairs of clothes throughout the trip, all these miles? That's right. Wow. Yeah. And it, it sounds, the first rea- reaction is probably a little visceral from our listeners, and no, that's no. disgusting. How do, you, <laughs> how do you do that, right? Uh, there's a trick, and it's called a sink, a hose, or a washing machine. And I, without fail, had access to one of those every single night. I was able to clean my, uh, my garments, my clothing, and while I was wearing one pair, the other was drying out. So uh, I did. I only had one pair of clothes for the bike, one pair of clothes for off the bike, and this really helped keep my weight down, which is a huge concern when you're riding uh, that far. Every single ounce matters. So I, I really had to pare down. I, I left anything that I didn't need at home, including uh, one half of my toothbrush. That, that was a handle. I, uh, I left, you know, all sorts of things that I re- preacher comforts that I really wish I could have brought um, at home. And my setup was about 47 pounds. So including the, oh the whole entire bicycle, oh my 47 God. pounds. How many hours per day did you bike? I averaged around seven, seven and a half hours uh, each day actually pedaling. Uh, and the time elapsed from when I would start in the morning to when I finished in the evening was, was usually around eight and a half. Wow. So take me through your route. So you start at the most northwest corner in Washington State, you said. How, how did you get across the country? In the U.S., there's actually a really robust cycling network. Uh, really? The Adventure, yeah, the Adventure Cycling Association puts out uh, these bicycling maps that have been well-traversed in the last uh, 40 years or so. And so you'll see, you'll see cyclists coming from every which way, and, and it's in kind of this archaic way that's how people communicate on the route. It's, you know, you see a cyclist, who's ridden the way you're going and, and they pass on this tribal knowledge of, Hey, you know, watch out for that, that bridge or, or, Hey, there's a wild pack of dogs on this corner. And so it becomes really fun to uh, kind of connect with other people. And, and during COVID there, you know, far fewer than what I had read about, um, you know, I had read articles about hundreds of people on these routes, but I, I saw a handful. Um, but yeah, to answer the question that the adventure cycling association puts out routes, so it was really easy in the U.S. portion to just plug in the destination for the day and follow follow their route. Uh, it got a little more challenging after, um, but just yeah. in the beginning, the Adventure Cycling Association. Yeah, so I was going to ask. I mean, so the Adventure Cycling Association, do they have like an app that you just like plugged in your phone and like Google Maps? Yeah, they, they have an app. They have paper maps and they have a digital version. And I use a GPX file, so I was able to just upload it right to Google Maps, uh, overlay it on my existing map, and basically make sure the blue dot always followed the, the line. So I had no idea this even existed in the United States. You're to tell me that there are bike paths throughout the country and people are doing this? I've never heard of this. <laughs> yeah, there, there are bike paths. They're established bicycle routes, and some of them okay. are actual bike, um, bicycle trails. So 
when you think of the you know gravel park at the uh, gravel trail at a park, some of them are that. Um, most of them are on roads, but the roads are we, we like to joke one of one of three well two of three things. So they're either uh, really safe, they're really scenic, or they're really well paved. So one of those mm. they usually get two of the three, mm. and rarely all three. But you know that by riding on one of their routes, uh, it's going to be a good good experience. Wow. So that that's amazing. Um, and you mentioned this earlier, but I do want to circle back to that. So like shelter, what did you do <laughs> for shelter during this? Yeah, it, that was the, always a moving target. And the, the answer again changes from U.S. to everything else that was not U.S. And, and the United we'll get to States, that in a moment, there's a wonderful, yeah. yeah, there's a wonderful community of cyclists who will who will host you actually at their their homes and they've done similar trips in the past or they have a passion for cycling and they have a spare bedroom or couch that you can take advantage of and it's it's called warm showers and as the name implies they often or actually all of the time had a warm shower that you can go and clean up at night maybe do some laundry and they'll serve you breakfast and and dinner wait so you're telling me there's there's a network of cyclists who are willing to host? Uh, go ahead. Yeah, was, yeah. Uh, so we're we're basically we're un- unpeeling this secret bicyclist squirrel. We are, for, yeah. For I everyone. feel, yeah. We're going in, <laughs> yeah, going in deep. Yeah, and so it's uh, open source website. You go on, make an account, and and share your story, and and you can inquire to host that. You know, tell them about your trip and ask them if they can host you, and, and most of the time they're able to. So you logged it. So you created an account, and you said like, "Hi, I will be here at this time. Can someone host me?" Correct. Yeah, and usually you do it a day or two in advance because you know, your route changes. But that's the, that's the crux of it. Wow! And every time, everywhere you were, someone responded. You know, it, during COVID, it was a little different right. because uh, we were being very cautious in regards to. Can we socially distance? Can we abide by mask regulations? And even uh, within the U.S., as I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with, there are varying degrees of adherence to all these regulations. And so um, that that was a challenge to kind of find, A, a safe place, uh, and B, you know, be distanced enough that you're able to stay safe, but also make a a connection with with these people. So I, I found that the the success rate, I'll call it, was probably 30, 30%. I'd send three to four messages and maybe get one to, you know, one or two okays. What did you do the other 70% of the time? <laughs> I was uh, I was able to camp on occasion. And I uh, would probably once uh, once a week, I would, I would stay in a, in a proper, like, hostel or, or cheap motel just to, yeah, kind of decompress, clean up, and and get some good sleep. You would camp. How did you camp without a tent or other camping equipment? <laughs> well, the the, camp, the tent actually fit oh. uh, inside of my my bike bag. Oh, okay, so it was a really yeah, it was a very lightweight tent, what? and I I traveled with the tent for for just the United States portion. Wow, so I'm because I'm, this is so not my world. So I'm I'm just very I'm very curious about this. So, 
So you send out a message on this app. You don't get a response. So you're like, okay, either I'm going to camp tonight or find a motel. But so you just have the, what did you do for food? The nights where you didn't have a host. For food, I would uh, pull up at the closest grocery store and um, load up two grocery bags full of food. And um, (laughs) when you're riding that far every day, any, any food looks good. So those bags were full of anything you can imagine, all sorts of goodies. Wow. And um, yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, so you did this at the height of COVID, obviously. Um, but I, I've read a couple stories that you've, you've you, you know, articles about you. And you said that people were really kind and took you in even during COVID, which is surprising to me because, you know, some of my good friends didn't even want to see me during COVID you know, over, you know, in these strangers, some strangers took you in. That's, that's amazing to me. Yeah, it was, it was really reassuring, especially during COVID. And I think it spoke to the, the, the safety, I want to say of the, the bike ride itself. Right. It's a really socially distant, correct outdoor, um, pretty solo activity. And I, right. I, you know, I was never really inside of a, uh, you know, packed concert hall. I wasn't traveling. I was, it was just me and my bike outside. And so most people could relate with that. And, and they said, Hey, you know, you come to my house, we'll eat dinner outside on the porch at opposite ends of the table and I'll go inside first. And then you, you know, you go upstairs after it was, it was really manageable. And I, I think people understood that, Oh, you know, it was, it was a low, a low risk activity at that point. So what did you learn about people during this trip? Yeah, you know, I learned I learned to to lean on on people. Um, I'd always and and maybe the nature of the trip itself was was all about this, but kind of just go at things and attack things full full throttle. But a trip like this, you can't do it on your own. And and even though I rode alone, uh, I, I took away from this that you know people are there. And they are good nature. They'll help you. And if you're ever you know, on a journey, when you don't have to go at, go at it alone. There's, there's always help. I, I love hearing that because, you know, I mean, you know, we, we live in this just so, such a, such a polarized, polar, polarized and uh, divisive world where, like, nobody gets along, especially if you read social media. So, but... I, I it, it's very great for me to hear that that's not the reality on the ground that you found that there still is a lot of humanity out there. It's good to hear. There's yeah, there's definitely a lot of goodness out there, especially in the U.S. And I, if we wind back the clock a little, we were in the midst of of, of the lead up to an election, and right? There were all sorts of signs and affiliations and. Um, you know, not once did I ever was I ever asked at someone's home. You know, what are your beliefs on on this, or right. who are you going to vote for? It was there were the, the conversations never got there, just because there was so much more to talk about. There was the outdoors, there was bicycling, there was COVID, there was all these things that we never even had to broach the topic of politics. And and sometimes, I, you know, I, I'm I'm gay, and right. you know, I really have a passion for for LGBTQ rights and, and advocacy and a lot of other things that we can categorize as liberal, but 
I, I would stay at a house and, and walk out the next morning and realize that they, you know, there's a sign out front that, that maybe wasn't all, all in support of that. And huh. I, I realized I had just spent a night and shared a dinner with this person who had complete opposite political beliefs from me, but yet we were still able to connect and have a great time. Yeah, I love that. Did did everyone know you were gay or? It, you know, it was, it was sort of an evolution in the beginning. I didn't, um, it wasn't part of um, as my trip as much. And as I got going, I, I found out that it was just as important uh, part of the trip as finishing the ride was sharing my story and my identity. So very much by past Colorado, and it was a conversation I had every day. I, I love hearing that so much. You know, you describe leaving someone's home. You look at a side, you know, Trump 2020, and, and, we're, and we're just built in our world today to like, you know, I am to the left of Lenin. So like I drive, you know, around (laughs) and if I see, you know, a Trump sign or make America great again, I'm like, ah, these people, I can never connect with them. But that's a pretty small minded attitude to have because we're not as uh, social media is not an accurate reflection of society, of actual people on the ground. And and I think your story embodies that. That's just, it's just amazing for me to hear because it goes against so much of what we do here about what's happening in the country right now. Yeah, you're right. And to your point, it's, it's all the more important to just get out and uh, see the world or see the country and on your, in your own two eyes. It's, it, it's, it's always so much that you can actually see on social media. So the Trevor Project component, how did people donate to you during this ride and how did you get the word out? Primarily, ironically, through social media. Okay. And I used Instagram uh, to share my, my story and from there it grew organically. And so friends, family, shared it with friends, family and uh, sort of this exponential growth. So I started just, you know, with a post and shared my ride and before you know it, and I had blossomed to this to this amount today. I'm almost at seventeen thousand dollars. Wow, that's so amazing! Seventeen thousand dollars. Wow. Um, so I do also want to get to the non-U.S. portion of this trip. So take me through your thought process there. You go down to Key West, then you're in Texas, and you decide to cross the Mexico border. What made you think I want to continue this on, go through Central America and into South America? Yeah, I. I crossed the U.S. and it was a blast. Like, yeah. For all the reasons I mentioned, the people, the sites, the, the fitness, and the fundraising. It was just awesome. And so when I got to the other side, I, I was like, that's it? You know, it's over? And so I realized, like, hey, you know, why not keep going? So I, I turned south and I went to Key West and, and like you mentioned, um, towards Mexico. And, you know, I never I never planned to, to go to South America. I did not start my ride planning right. – to ride all the way to Chile. And I think, you know, if I had, I would have, I would have stopped because the, it would have just been so overwhelming to fathom. Like, I, you know, how do you ride your bike from, you know, the U S to Chile? It's just not, it's, it's such a grand idea that it would, it, it would have just steamrolled me in the beginning. So I, I just enjoyed the moment. I know it sounds cliche, but I, you know, I rode across the country. I really loved it. And so I said, you know, why not take another week, go down to Key West. And so I took another week, went down to Key West. And by that point, I was, you know, two weeks from Mexico. So I said, you know, it would be cool to go to Mexico. And so this hopscotch kept going. And 
before you know it, I was in Panama and then, you know, Lima. And then I just kept, kept going and going. Thank you for moving out details, though. How, how do you get to bike? How do you bike across Central America and South America? <laughs> there, so there is a road and it goes all the way from Alaska to Argentina. And what? the only break uh, in the concrete or the pavement, so to say, is between Panama and Colombia. There's about a 90 mile zone called the Darien Gap and there's no navigable road through, through that region. So you can ride basically, or you can drive any sort of road activity all the way up to the, that line in Panama. And then, you know, you you hike or you, you boat or you fly across that gap and then continue on, on the road. So there are roads and it's just a matter of which one you take. How did you cross the border during COVID and everything? How was that? All, this, all these border were, crossings, yeah. They were, without a doubt, the hardest part of the trip. Uh, they presented a tremendous amount of uncertainty, and even the published information online was was not a, not, was never accurate. So some borders that I um, had read were closed were open. Some borders that I read were open were actually closed. <laughs> and so I would literally ride up, explain my journey, ask to cross, and if they said no come up with a backup plan. And if they said yes, then proceed. The The U.S.-Mexico border was, was a one-way street. Really, once I was in, I couldn't turn back on the land border. Um, but as I continued going, the crossings became more elaborate and, uh, and, and challenging. So I, I actually had to, on a few occasions, <laughs> I would ride up to the border and have this conversation, explain my trip, and they would uh, occasionally say no, and so I would I would ask the embassy or or ask some for some sort of permission to cross, and you know sometimes was able to explain my case, and and they found it reasonable. Hey, it's a biker; he's been outside; it's safe. Um, but other times there was there was no leeway, so I would on a handful of times had to go back to the capital city, um, hop on a plane fly into the, the country, um, do all of the arrival requirements, whether that's quarantine, test, uh, anything, uh, and then take a bus back to the border to the very same spot that I left off, literally wheel my, my wheel to the line and then continue riding. So to make sure that I never missed any inch. Wow. So what, uh, what was the most difficult border crossing that you had? The border crossing from Peru into Chile was was that was that example. And really? if you look at a map by air, the the two the two airports that I flew from and into are actually just twelve miles apart. And so really? I flew I, I flew about a thousand miles huh. uh, just to just to get back on the other side of that border. So um, in addition to that. On the other side, in the Chilean side, there was a really strict quarantine. I had to stay in, indoors for 10 days, uh, test out of the quarantine with a few tests, and then continue to report my location and whereabouts for 14 days. So it was really, really stringent, and there was a, you know, a little bit of a language barrier, but as, yeah. as I rode, I got, I got more comfortable with that, so it wasn't as much of an issue. But yeah, definitely Chile was the hardest crossing. I was going to say, do you speak Spanish? Or Yo, Portuguese? 
<laughs> okay, I good. Speak Spanish and at a at a reasonable level. So in the beginning it was it was kind of refreshing my um you know practicing but by the time I got to the end I was I was just about fluent probably 85%. <sighs> Wow. Yeah, and I'm going to ask the same question I asked uh, at the start of the interview. I mean, so the U.S., you either were camping, hostels, or 30% of the time, these cyclists would host you. What did you do for shelter in Central America and South America? As soon as the, you cross the border, the exchange rate becomes very favorable right. if you have U.S. dollars. I had no issues finding affordable hostels, homestays. And hotels to stay at. And I'm talking about ten to twelve dollars a night, including breakfast, and they're completely clean, safe, reasonable. So that was what I turned to mostly, and I supplemented a little bit actually with some of the international hosts on that site, Warm Showers, um, along with some kind of random uh, invitations. So one night I actually got invited to stay on a boat. Um, another night I, I slept outside in someone's backyard. It was so it was just a a mash of a lot of different things, but mostly hostels and hotels. A boat in a backyard. How did you meet these people who took you in? I would meet them at a supermarket. I would, they would see me riding and ask me what I was doing, and that was really? that was how the conversation started. So people were really, um, again, just super kind. Wow. So you must have a way with people, I mean, because, I mean, just to strike up a conversation in another language and then they're hosting you, I mean, that's... I can't imagine me doing that. So that's just pretty. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. Like some some of my friends say I've never met a stranger, and on top of that, there there's also the fact that you're you're on a bike and you right. have bags and you're a foreigner. And I think the bike itself is actually a great conversation tool and immediately breaks down barriers. And it's it's just a good way to just to meet people. Wow. So what's your biggest takeaway from your adventure? I'm still I'm still kind of thinking through the whole trip, and believe me, I haven't come away with anything clean just yet. But I I think the I think twofold. So the, the first one would be, you know, the journey, our journey, whether that's uh, myself, like a gay man who who had to come out, or in life in general, it's it's take it one step at a time. If if I had envisioned this whole coming out process in the beginning and you know, it would have been too onerous. It would have been too difficult, right? In the same vein as if I had thought about biking all the way to Chile at first, it just would have been too much. So take it one day at a time and be in the moment. The The other the other takeaway would be just the, the trust in people. Uh, there are really, like you mentioned, social media, uh, it can inflame you know, one side or the other, or it can really highlight just the negatives that are happening outside. But there's a whole world of just amazing people. And I'd have to say, uh, you know, every single person I met was was really kind and really nice. I mean, I met a handful of, of um, I had a handful of, of issues on the trip. You know, I got robbed once, but, you know, to, to meet literally thousands of people and have one uh, bad, bad instance is, you know, the, the odds are, are really, you know, in your favor. You're going to meet more nice people if you go outdoors and, and just interact. So what's next? Next for me is, is graduate school. And I 
I left the job at the airline and I'm looking to to sort of refresh my skills and re-enter the job market in, in a few years' time. Wow, you're studying at UT Austin. Hope uh, it's on a secret location. Uh, but uh, yeah, Andrew Mortensen, an incredible story. Biked again across North America, South America. Raised at this point upwards of $17,000 for the Trevor Project. Andrew, thanks for coming on. How can the people uh, follow you if they want to keep up with uh, your whereabouts? Absolutely. And and thank you so much for, for having me, Alex. Uh, on, on Instagram is the best way to check out my journey or get a hold of me it's just my name so andrew and then underscore mort so m for mike o-r-t it's just the first four letters of my last name um and there's a link to donate and there's a whole plethora of pictures and information about my trip and i would be forever grateful if if you're able to give uh, anything and or even just share my my story and yeah. thank you so much alex and thank you so much out sports yeah, no, Andrew, is there another bike adventure coming up? Tomorrow morning, I'm going out for a group ride with a few people. Okay. Um, All right. Beyond that, uh, I haven't set my sights on anything. Uh, I would love to, to get back to South America and ride down there. It's just stunning. But uh, we'll, we'll see how, how COVID and, and school goes. I'm in awe. Andrew Mortensen, thanks for coming on, my man. Much appreciated. Um, thank you, Alex. Thank you so much. All right, so a big thanks to Andrew for taking the time and coming on the show this week. As always, if you have any topic ideas, guest ideas, feel free to drop me a line. My email is, well, not my email. Find me on Twitter. My Twitter is at AlexRemer1. That, again, is at AlexRemer1. So long, everybody. I'll talk to you next on the show next Saturday.